Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. I need to confess something to you this morning, and that is this, that I am an ice cream-aholic. Anybody else? I love ice cream, right? Love, love ice cream so much. In fact, whenever my, my wife, Abby, whenever she was pregnant with our first child, um, I was excited for the pregnancy stage because I had heard about these things called pregnancy cravings, right? And pregnancy cravings are basically a free pass to eat whatever you want, right? And you can get away with it, you know? And so it's awesome. So I had a ton of pregnancy cravings, you know, during, during her first pregnancy. And, and so, you know, it was so bad that like I would try and talk her into cravings late at night. It's 10 p.m. Don't you need, you need some Taco Bell, you need something. And so it turned into a lot of late night ice cream runs. And so I would, you know, it started maybe once or twice a week, but before we knew it, I was going every night. Like it, it wasn't even a matter of if I was going, I would just grab the keys and be like, all right, what you want? And so I was going to get ice cream every single night at this place called Brahms, which is like God's gift to creation. And I heard a rumor that Conway was getting a Brahms, but I think it's just a rumor. And so if you're anybody who has any kind of power in this city, man, bring some Brahms to Conway. I, this Oklahoma kid needs, needs some Brahms. But anyway, so even today, man, I crave like, Late at night, I'll crave a Chick-fil-A shake or something from Andy's ice cream, something like that. I wanna show you, this past week we were in Anaheim for the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. And so last week, I, I got to partake in this beautiful goodness here that's on the screen. That's $16 of goodness right there, right? Just this, sh uh, this Sunday that's just covered in all kinds of stuff. I don't know if you can tell, but on the side there, they just slapped a whole ice cream sandwich on the side of that bad boy. And so like, oh. I just loved it, enjoyed every bite of, of that thing, right? And so we've had to, in our house, like we've had to set up some boundaries because we know that if there's ice cream in the house, I'm gonna eat it. And so we've had to just say, we're not gonna buy ice cream, it's not gonna be in our freezer because I will take care of it. And so that's just a good life lesson, right? You have to know where your hangups are and you have to draw some boundaries around those things. And for me, it's ice cream for sure, right? And that's kind of the reason I bring that up is because that's kind of how sin works too. Like sin starts small, but if it goes unchecked, it can grow and it can completely destroy you, right? And so we need to address sin head on. The Puritans actually used to talk about sin. They, they would say that small sin is actually like baby snakes, that although they're small, they're deadly, right? They're deadly, and if, and if you allow that thing to, to live, it's gonna grow and it will completely destroy you. And so this morning, it's Father's Day, and we're gonna talk about this great king who lived named Solomon. And what we're gonna see is this man who had it all. Like he had wealth, he had fame, he had the girls, he had everything, but his sin completely destroyed his life. And so if you have a Bible, open it with me to 1 Kings chapter 11 this morning. 1 Kings chapter 11. 
So we started this series two weeks ago. If you were with us, we started in 1 Kings chapter three. And in chapter three, we see King Solomon, we see his coronation ceremony. My goodness, this happens every time I preach in Conway. My iPad or my, my watch or something starts talking to me. That's funny. Um, and, and so anyway, we, we see his coronation ceremony in chapter three where he, um, where he is, is ushered in as the third king of Israel. Last week in chapter eight, we studied how he, um, how he prayed this great prayer after the temple dedication. And today what we're gonna see is at the end of his life, We're gonna see King Solomon's downfall. Before we read it, I I want us to pray. And as I pray for us, why don't you just pray for yourself that in this moment and in this time that God would speak directly to you. God, we thank you just for the moments that we share. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray that in this moment that you would speak to us in a way that only you can. Nothing that I would have to say but everything that you would have to say to us this morning. We're listening and we love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. All right, First Kings chapter 11. We're gonna read this in sections this morning. If you're a note taker, I've got four points for you this morning that I wanna show you. So we're gonna read a little bit and talk. So let's read First Kings chapter 11, verse one. King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonite, and Hittite women from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them and they must not intermarry with you because they will turn your heart away to follow their gods. To these women, Solomon was deeply attached in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 who were concubines and they turned his heart away. And so the first thing I want you to see in this passage this morning as we dive into it is number one, sin begins in a disobedient heart. Sin begins in a disobedient heart. He references that the fact that God has told him, like you're not supposed to intermarry with foreign women. That comes from Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse one. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and he drives out many nations before you, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them, verse four, because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will swiftly destroy you. And then 1 Kings 11, one opens and it says, King Solomon loved many foreign women. It's just disobedience. A couple of weeks ago in our house, we had... um, it was after Easter, we had some of those uh, Reese's peanut butter eggs. You know what I'm talking about? Like the eggs, the Christmas trees, the pumpkins, whenever Reese's does the special holiday things, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's like the perfect combination of peanut butter and, and chocolate, they're perfect. And so we had a bag of those in our house and my youngest son, Ames, he's three years old. He's got a sweet tooth like, like his dad. And the boy just is constantly in candy. If there's candy at the house, he's gonna find it. He'll climb up on the countertops. We found him just sitting on the counter, just eating, eating chocolate, right? Just last night, it was, it was bedtime. He's sitting at the counter and he's watching his iPad just eating candy. Just eating these, uh, I don't know if you've had the Nerds gummies things. Those are awesome too, you should check those out. 
Um, and so he's just sitting there eating those. I asked Abby, I was like, hey, is he supposed to be eating candy? She's like, no, it's bedtime. And I said, Ames, buddy, uh, are, are you supposed to be eating this? And he's like, I don't know. It's like, yeah, you know. He's just popping them, right? And so anyway, we had these Reese's eggs in the house. And, and so we had to cut the kids off from them. Like, no more of these. Like, you've had your, you've had your limit, right? And so we thought the problem was, was solved. And one night, a couple nights later, I was putting Ames in bed. And I lift up his pillow. And under his pillow, there's just tons of empty Reese's wrappers. I mean, tons of them. Which made me mad because I didn't get to eat them, right? And so I looked at him and I was like, I was like, Ames, did you eat these? And he's like, no, you know, just looked at me, just no. I was like, son, I know for a fact that you ate these. And he's like, yeah, I did it, right? Just disobedience. Well, that's what we see here in Solomon. God said one thing, Solomon did the opposite. It's a picture of disobedience. And what's worse is that Solomon knew God's command. He knew it. He wrote three chapters in Proverbs about staying away from forbidden women. Like he, he knew, and when we read that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And the thing about it is, is God had good reasons for telling him to stay away. He had good reasons. What was the reason? He says in verse two, because they will turn your heart away. Don't intermarry, they will turn your heart away. See, in the Bible, the heart uh, represents like your inner core. It's, your, it's who you are, right? It's your inner person. And so this is really the issue at hand. It's not really the marriage. It's that you'll start worshiping their gods. And so God puts in this, this roadblock and says, don't do this because they, they will turn your heart away. What God is trying to show them is that your heart was created to worship God not other things, and, and, and the problem is, is whenever sin comes in, it redirects our, our worship in another way. It turns our heart away from God. Solomon's story begins with the statement. Look at this, it'll be on the screen. Verse, verse three of chapter three says, Solomon loved the Lord, and then at the end of his life, in chapter 11, King Solomon loved many foreign women, and verse two would use the word deeply attached. In the Bible, like Deuteronomy chapter 17, deeply attached, this, this word here usually goes with the fact of being deeply attached to God. But here it's used that Solomon was deeply attached to all these foreign women who led his heart astray. And we need to, this morning, take this as a warning for ourselves, Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above anything else. It's incurable that the heart is a problem. And because Solomon's heart was given to other lovers, he fell hard. 700 wives, he fell hard. James in the New Testament says, that, says this, James 1.15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So do you see what's happening there? Like, it, it, it starts with desire, it starts small, but it leads to death. And so the problem isn't out there somewhere, the problem is in here. Jesus talks about that in Mark, Mark chapter seven. The Pharisees came to him and said, Jesus, why do you and your disciples not wash your hands before you eat? And Jesus gave them this whole, whole talk about how it's not what's on the outside that comes in that makes you un unclean, it's what's on, on the inside that already makes you unclean, your heart. 
That's the problem, right? And then he says in Mark 7, uh, 17 or so, he, he says that Isaiah prophesied well about you hypocrites, that you, you, you say one thing, you praise me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me and you worship me in vain. Jesus, Jesus says that, and we actually see that in Solomon. Like Solomon prayed great prayers. He, he spoke a lot of wisdom through the Proverbs. He wrote beautiful poetry, yet his heart was not wholly true to God. And I think we would do well this morning to ask ourselves, what about me? So what about, what about you? Do you find your heart flirting with different sins? You need to know that you're playing with fire, right? The things that you spend your spare time on, who you spend your time with, the things you allow yourself to watch or look at, all of these different things can turn your heart away from God and it starts small. It starts small. So understand this warning that's given to Solomon because you too could be headed towards tragedy. Sin is a big deal. So number one, sin begins in a disobedient heart. Number two, sin leads to a deep spiral. Sin leads to a deep spiral. Look at verse four with me. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and Milcom or Molech, the, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and unlike his father David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. At that time, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abhorrent idol of Moab, and for Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites on the hill across from Jerusalem. He did the same for all his foreign wives who were burning incense and offering sacrifices to their gods. It's just this downward spiral that we see Solomon in this morning. Verse four says, when he was old, like meaning that it didn't just start with this brief struggle with sin. No, it, it's a progression of sin that seems to have fully engulfed him whenever he was old. It completely took over. And the Bible says that he was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord like his father David was. Now let's pause for just a second there because that can be a bit confusing to us. If you know anything about King David, you know that he was a massive sinner. He was an adulterer and a murderer, right? Remember the story, like he, he, King David is on his palace and he sees this woman taking a bath and her name is Bathsheba, which I've always found to be ironic, right? And he sees her and he has an affair with her and to make it worse, he tries to cover up that problem and ends up having to kill her husband, right? And so we know Whenever 1 Kings 11 says devoted, it doesn't mean sinless. Devoted here doesn't mean sinless. So what does it mean? Like David sinned in a massive way, but his fall was followed by a broken and repentant heart. That's the difference. I want you to see his prayer of repentance in Psalm chapter 51. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. See, David 
was repentant. And as a result, Acts 13 would call him a man after God's own heart. David was sinful. Solomon was sinful. And the difference is how each of them respond to their sin. David repents. He turns towards God. And Solomon does the opposite. He turns, he turns away from God. And so the message for all of us this morning is that, man, we all sin. The message here is not to be sinless. We would all fail before we even go to bed tonight. The point is, is how you respond to it. Even Paul in Romans chapter seven says, I keep doing the things that I hate. The great apostle Paul, he had struggles, right? I keep doing the things that I hate. And so what I would say to us is if you have fallen into sin, follow the example of David, not Solomon. Follow the example of David. Admit your sin. Repent of it. Turn away from it. Accept God's mercy. Find help amongst God's people and change the way that you live. Because this story provides for us an example of a deep spiral that will happen if you allow sin to fester in your life. Look at what Solomon ends up doing, this deep spiral that he's in. Again, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, and now he's worshiping all these false gods in chapter 11. Like Ashtoreth, this, this god, he was, this, uh, it was the sex goddess. Molech and, and Kamash, both of these would involve sacrificing babies and children to this false god. We know that from 2 Kings chapter 3. And so this is where Solomon finds himself. He finds himself doing these things and spiraling out of control into deep, dark sin. The question is, is how did he get there? Like, how did he find himself in this place? The, the wisest man to ever live, this man who had it all, he had wealth. Like, people would travel to hear his, his wisdom and see the things that he has built. And, and how did he get, like, I'm sure in chapter three at his coronation ceremony, he never imagined he would be doing this kind of idol worship in chapter 11. I'm sure in chapter eight, whenever he's, he's, praying his prayer of dedication of the temple that he has built, he doesn't imagine that he would be in this place worshiping these false gods, sacrificing children to them. So how did he get here? First Kings 3, verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying, marrying Pharaoh's daughter. One step of disobedience led to more, led to more, and led to 700 wives, 300 concubines, a complete spiral into sin. And verse six says, this was evil in the Lord's sight. There's a, there's a famous quote that says this, it'll be on the screen for you. It says, sin will take you farther than you wanna go. It will keep you longer than you wanna stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. The thing about this quote is it's very true, but what makes it extremely sad is the guy that said it. Look who said it. It's a guy named Ravi Zacharias. Now, do you know anything about Ravi Zacharias' story? Over the last two years, it's come out that this man, who was once this world-famous, like, traveling evangelist and, and brilliant mind, knows the Bible inside and out, 
came out a couple of years ago that he was covering up years of sexual abuse. And he's since passed away, but I think if he could tell us anything this morning, it might be this quote again. That sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That sin is a deep spiral. Number three, sin ends in devastating results. Sin ends in devastating results. Look at, look at verse nine with me. It says the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had commanded him about this so that he would not follow other gods. This is so sad, right? This is so sad that God had commanded him to stay away from foreign women, not because he's mean, not because uh, the marriage necessarily was, was wrong, not because he doesn't want us to have fun, but because it would turn his heart away. Look how verse 10 ends. But Solomon did not do what the Lord had commanded. Then the Lord said to Solomon, since you have done this and did not keep my covenants and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you. This word tear here, it it means to, to rip something away. I'm going to take the kingdom, I'm going to rip it from your hands, Solomon, and this is exactly what happens. After this, this powerful nation of Israel is divided, and we'll see a series of events and kings that eventually lead to Israel defeated, the temple destroyed, and the people held against their will in Babylon. That's where the rest of this series is going. And so you and I need to know and we need to understand that sin has consequences. As we face our sin, we have to navigate between these two unbiblical ditches that are on one side or the other. The first one is our thinking that sin is beyond forgiveness. It's not. Sin is not beyond forgiveness, but the other side of the road, the other ditch that we need to worry about falling into is just becoming numb to our sin and thinking that it's no big deal. Even though God forgives our sin, there's still consequences. If you think about King David and the story I told you about his, his affair that he had and all that that happened, there was consequences with it. Even though David repents, there's still consequences. Second Samuel chapter 12, God says that there's gonna be turmoil inside your family now. And then God says that the child that was conceived will die. There are consequences that happen. So hear me, Christian brothers and sisters, your sin has consequences. Your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects those around you. Unfaithfulness in your marriage affects the whole family. Cheating in your job could put the company at risk. Breaking laws lead to other people getting hurt. Sin destroys lives and families. I've seen it so many times. It destroys lives and families, and so don't grow numb to your sin. It's a big deal, and and, and the fact that there are consequences, that it destroys lives, it destroys families, should cause us, you and me, to run hard and fast in the opposite direction from our sin. 
So we should put up roadblocks well above wherever that thing actually happens to guard us from ever getting here. Because sin will destroy you. It has devastating results. But listen to this. Unrepentant sin leads to death. Sin that is not remedied by Jesus leads to death. Romans 6.23, for the wages or the payment for sin is death. It's a big deal. This is serious. We, we don't take sin lightly. It demands a response from us. But that verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is where the good news breaks in. And so hear me. Your sin is not beyond forgiveness. Whatever it is, it's not beyond forgiveness. As big as you think your sin is, our God is bigger. His faithfulness is bigger, his love is bigger, his grace is bigger to cover over it. Because number four, sin is defeated in Jesus. Sin is defeated in Jesus. You might be going, David, that's a little bit of a stretch. I don't see Jesus in this passage. But let me show you, whenever you take the grand narrative of the Bible, how we can put that all together. Look at, look at verse 12 and 13 of chapter 11 with me. God has said, I'm gonna tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. However, verse 12, I will not do it during your lifetime for the sake of your father, David. I will tear it out of your son's hand, yet I will not tear the entire kingdom away from him. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem that I chose. In this moment, God is referencing something called the Davidic covenant. It's a promise that God made to King David back in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 16, God told David this. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. Now, in this moment, this is a messianic prophecy of one that would come. This isn't talking about just Solomon or Solomon's sons or even Solomon's grandsons. This is pointing directly to the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, that will rule and reign victorious for all of eternity. That there's going to be one who comes and will always sit and reign victorious on the throne of David. That's the reason Matthew chapter 1 starts with the lineage of Jesus and details out how Jesus came from David. It's to fulfill this promise that he makes. And so Jesus is the flawless and sinless king. He had no sins to cover up. He had, he had no fault whatsoever. He never once abused his power or fell to temptation. He was the spotless lamb who came to offer the perfect sacrifice that your sin and my sin demanded. That's the reason John the Baptist rightly declares in John chapter one, he says, look, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Jesus was that spotless and perfect lamb and he came on a rescue mission to save us because our sin separates us from God and you and I have no capacity to do anything about it. We are sinful and we are broken. And Jesus came and he willingly died on a Roman cross, shed his perfect blood as a sacrifice for your sin 
and mine. His sin was, or his death was the, the payment for our sin. His resurrection sealed the deal. And if you and I will just place our trust and our faith in him, the Bible says that we will be saved. John three sixteen. you know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. The question is, how will you respond? How will you respond? This week, my friend Bobby passed away, and yesterday they held his funeral. And uh, Bobby was an amazing man. He was around 60 years old, never married, always served faithfully in the church and in student ministry. One of the most creative guys I've ever met, one of the most intentional men that I've ever been around. Every time you're around him, he's asking how you're doing, how your walk is. He's trying to take some kind of uh, moment and teach you something in that. Bobby was a picture to me of Jesus. Like the way that he lived, the way that he loved people, And at his funeral yesterday, that's all that kept coming up, is how this man lived in such a way that everyone around him saw Jesus. Because at the end of the day, at your funeral, the only thing that matters is what you did with Jesus. That's the only thing that matters, is what do you do, how do you respond to Jesus? So two weeks ago, we were at the coronation of this new king named Solomon. And now, today, we end at his funeral, at the end of his life. And so what can we say about him? I think you could say a lot of things. He was apparently a great leader. He was extremely wise, like people would come from all over to hear his wisdom. He was great in trade and building up the economy and he built the temple and he built the walls around Jerusalem and he he fortified the city like he brought safety and all these things. And we see in chapter eight, like he prayed this beautiful prayer as he dedicates the temple to God. Like he, he did a lot of great things, but he was also extremely flawed. He was extremely flawed. He, he directly disobeyed God. And he allowed his his love for women to turn him from his love for God. And what happens after this is the downfall of the nation of Israel. That's what we can say at the end of Solomon's life. And Jesus says in Mark chapter eight, verse 36, what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world, yet lose his life? Solomon had it all. He had wealth, he had the fame, he had the power, he had all the girls. But in the end, he lost it all. Didn't matter. And so maybe this morning, like maybe you have it all going your way. Maybe you have the dream job, the Instagrammable life and family, the big house, maybe you've got it all. But if you don't have Christ, listen, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior, your step today, step one, is to trust him. 
Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and listen, you will be saved. Your sin problem remedied, made right before a holy God. But maybe you're here and you do know, you do know Christ, but you're living with some deep sin in your life. And maybe you've gotten really good at hiding it. Maybe nobody even knows, but you do. And you struggle with it every single day. Take Solomon as a warning. Take this story, take his life as a warning and kill that snake before it gets any bigger. James 5.16 says that there's power in confessing your sin to one another. So maybe that's your step today. Maybe you need to get with some people from your small group or some people that you trust and you need to say, listen, I'm struggling and I've been struggling and I need you to help me. I need to put up some roadblocks well upstream before I ever get to that spot where I mess up. And so I need you to do that with me. Maybe your step this morning is repentance, to turn away from the things that you've turned to and turn back to God. But sin is serious and it needs to be dealt with. And so how will you respond? today. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.